I actually said to Dale just before this, I'm rubbish at holding a mic because of nerves, and I'm rubbish at standing a mic because standing behind a mic because I'm not good at standing still. So, <laughs> sorry. I was speaking at first once, and the whole power went, and it's you know it's like a, a T, and a cr- well it's a cross, but yeah, you're, you're, thanks, Alec. But you're facing a T, and so I had to speak that way loud. Then these people couldn't hear me. Then I had to speak that way loud, and there was anyway. Um, Good morning. morning. That was much better than you got earlier, but everyone was talking, so that was that was fair. Two things that struck me. Yeah, great. Two things that struck me while Ali was giving announcements. Uh, One was thank you for the gift of announcements. I firmly believe that announcements is a spiritual gift, and I don't have it. Because I'll have a list of 10 things, and I'll really get excited about number three, and then never get to four or three, even if it's right there on the page ahead of me. So thank you. Thank you for that information. Um, but the other thing, he was talking about Alpha, and, and thanks for the information on that. Uh, and he made a great point. This is even for atheists. This is for wherever you are. And I would like to ex- extend that. If you're, A, if you're an atheist and don't believe any of this, what you would think is rubbish, we're so grateful that you're here today. But go to Alpha, because you'll actually make it so much more interesting. It is, it's pretty boring if you're sitting around with a group of people, what do you think about this question? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you agree too? Yeah, I agree. Okay, that's great. Let's move on. What do you think about it? But when you get reality and questions, I've talked about that before, and I'll talk a bit about it this morning. We need people in our lives to challenge what we believe, to sharpen what we believe, and to help us really look into what we believe so we know. And so please, if you're not sure what you... Is this getting really loud? Sorry. I know this, is, this mic's a problem and it's me. Um, please, wherever you're at, go to that, because that's what makes the discussion lively. Um, can I pray before we start? Jesus, help. Spirit, help. Uh, We're going into your word, and I've thought about it, and I've wrestled with it, and you've wrestled with me with it. Um, But I pray for your help, for your voice, for your truth. In Jesus' holy and awesome name, amen. Amen, amen. Uh, so it's great to be starting this, this morning with you guys. Uh, it, in some ways it feels like we never left when we got on the plane. I don't know if I said this to you when we got on the plane, leaving Abu Dhabi, literally the moment we sat down, I said to Fiona, did we even live there? It was like a, a two week vacation we had and we're going back home. Um, but at the same time, a lot has happened in the last four years and You guys have moved in different ways, and we are coming in fresh. So it's been really good the last couple weeks, really. You know, now we're starting this side of it, but the last couple weeks, sitting with some of you and hearing what's going on, hearing the joys, the challenges, the victories, the defeats, and just listening, because we don't know, and we need to catch up to speed with you guys and to catch the vision that God has already lit in this place. But it's great to be back. It was great to be here last week, and um, was it just me, or was Haddon absolutely amazing? 
that guy, and maybe just the way of life, as he gets older, God just grabs him and he gets more passionate and there's, there's no holds barred. It's Jesus, it's Jesus and the hair is going and he's coming at us. And, and it was amazing to be reminded of that as I start this journey and as we start this journey with you. So I was so thankful for that, for being prayed for by, by the leadership, for being welcomed amazingly by Ali to join this team. Um, and now... Here we go. I'm joining you guys uh, to walk alongside you, to learn alongside you, to grow alongside you, to serve alongside you, and to continue in this story of Acts, Acts chapter 23, which I've listened to. I listened to a few of them before, then I rapidly listened to a few of them this week. Thanks, Allie and Stan and Paul uh, for the summaries of the last few weeks. Uh, but for me, what I'd love to do is to catch us up a bit, because when I go into something, I need context, or I'm sitting in a story that, that means nothing to me. So we're in Acts chapter 23, which that doesn't mean 23 years, it, means, it doesn't mean 23 weeks, it means a, a while since, since Jesus left, since Jesus was standing with his disciples and said, I'm going away, but you know what, I'm sending actually a helper to you. And go to Jerusalem and wait there because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So they went to Jerusalem and they waited and the power came and everyone thought they were drunk. And the whole, all of the world that was gathered there heard this incredible story in their own language. It said 3,000 people joined the church on that day. But it didn't all go swimmingly after that. Amazing things happened. You know, Peter and James healed that, uh, or Peter and John healed that, that lame beggar, and then they proclaim Jesus in the back of it and persecute. The, the leaders do not like that at all. So they're, what are you doing? Throw them in jail, and, and persecu- a wave of persecution comes. And then they're released, and they rejoice. Thank you for letting us be persecuted. And then another miracle happens, and more miracles happen, and more proclamation happens in the back of that, and another wave of persecution comes. And in the midst of that story, it's like Acts chapter 6 or 7, we get this, this brief moment that's a scary moment when it says they had the favor of all of God's people. And if everyone ever says to you, isn't everything going great? We have the favor of all the people right now. Go, whoa, <laughs> hold on. Because in the back of that wave after wave of persecution came, but these people became unstoppable. We know the story. We're getting into Acts 23 where Paul is. You know, Paul was the guy who stood there and took everyone's coats and cheered them on as they stoned Stephen. And then we know he had his road to Damascus, Damascus experience. And amazingly, God chose him to become one of them. And amazingly, not just one of them, but the spokesman really for them. The one we mainly know the story for, from. And now Paul, as we're about to enter Acts chapter 23, is the guy on Judea's most wanted list. He's actually one of the most hated guys all through what was Asia Minor, Turkey. And right now, Paul has just arrived in the place that everyone who knew him and everyone who loved him told him not to go to. In fact, they didn't even tell him, just tell him not to go to. They said, the Holy Spirit's warning us. You'll be in chains. You'll be handed over the Roman, to the Romans. You'll be beaten. You'll be persecuted. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul says, yeah, you know what? I hear you, and I love you too, but I'm actually hearing from the same Spirit. You're going to be persecuted. You'll probably die, but you've got to go. And that's this amazing guy, Paul, we're dealing with today. 
He's just arrived in Jerusalem. He's only there about a week, and what everybody says was going to happen starts to happen. He's in the temple. Some Jews, of course, see him there. They start spreading rumors about him. And within seconds, as happens in Jerusalem, constantly as we read these stories, riot breaks out. They love a riot in Jerusalem. And they grab him and they're beating him. It says they try to kill him, but our heroes, the Romans, here, I don't know, across the city, the riot breaking out, and they run in quickly. And it says as soon as the Romans, the commander of the Romans arrives, everyone stops. And he sees that, that Paul is in the middle of this. And I, I always get these Monty Python visions in my head when I think about this. But he said, you know, the Romans arrive. There's like 200 soldiers. And everyone's like, you know, dropping the stick, dropping the stone. Nothing to see here. Except Paul lying there, bruised and battered. They tried to kill him. The commander says to the crowd, again, the nth time, what's going on here? And it says the crowd shouted one thing and the rest of the crowd shouted another thing and the commander's totally baffled. The commander actually thought Paul was an Egyptian terrorist. Why an Egyptian terrorist? I don't know, but he finds out he's a Jew and he allows him to, to talk before the crowd and Paul starts to tell a bit of a story, but that makes everything worse. And they say this amazing thing. They say, rid the earth of him. He is not worthy to live. And chaos breaks out even further. But then one really interesting thing happens, and I'd love to go into this point, but we don't have the time for it. The Roman commander finds out that Paul is a Roman citizen, something God orchestrated in his life from before he was born. And he pulls him back, and he pulls him out of this, and he says, we're going to gather the Sanhedrin, and we're going to give you a chance to explain to the people. God, and we don't have time to go on this, and I would love a whole a lot of time on this, but God has orchestrated Paul's life, all of it. And part of it's just so at this moment he can take him out, take him to, keep him in Jerusalem and take him all the way to Rome. And I just want to throw it there that God has orchestrated your life, my life, for here and for now. So Paul's been taken out He's about to sit in front of the Sanhedrin, these 70 guys plus the high priest, 71, all the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's where we enter finally. Acts chapter 23. So go to Acts chapter 23. Actually, we're going to go to Acts chapter 22, verse 30 to pick up just before the context of this story. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. He had no idea. They were saying one thing, they were saying another. They were saying, kill him, rid the earth of him. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. And he said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. 
And at this, the high priest ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And I want to stop there, and we're actually barely going to go into Acts 23. We're going to go like to, to verse 11. But I love this scene. Paul's been beaten. He's been chased. He's, we, we know that, 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 that uh, he tells us his whole story, all the things he's been through for the gospel. He's just been beaten the day before, and yet now he has this chance again in front of these men that hate him. And there's probably mixed emotions why it says he stared at the whole Sanhedrin. And I wonder if one by one he was staring them down. And then he says this defiant message, my brothers, and yet this true message. I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And what's the response? whack across the mouth and as i was reading this i was to I, I love the bible i love that it's real i love that it's raw i love that it's not some sort of fake prissy book and i love the the rawness of, of this chapter and this is where we have to remember uh, that the bible is absolutely 100 percent the inspired word of god it is, it is these books that God breathed through people to teach us about him. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. But it's not all prescriptive. It's not all telling us what to do. Some of it's just telling us how it is. And I love that sometimes it's just telling us how it is and just releasing upon us the rawness, the joys, and the brokenness of these incredible and maybe sometimes not so incredible people. So Paul is, is slapped across the face. In fact, he's not even he's slapped in the mouth. I'm not sure how that happens, but he's slapped across the mouth. And he responds actually the way you or I would want to respond. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I mean, it's like a two-year-old's thing, right? Yeah, you whitewashed wall. But the reality is, it sounds stupid, but if, if you said someone to that, that to someone today, they maybe wouldn't get it, but it still is, is offensive. Where's the picture? Two, yeah. A whitewashed wall. You fake. You fraud. You hypocrite, you pathetic existence that you just cover yourself with a bit of paint and you try to be something you're not. You whitewashed wall. God will slap you. And we go, yeah. That's totally, that's justice. That's totally how I would respond. But Paul is standing before these people, standing for Jesus giving his life for Jesus, giving his life to represent the fullness of that, and he did it with incredible cost. But did he do it in this moment? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 
But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, we know the story, turn them the other cheek also. Yeah, but, oh, that was beautiful what Paul said. But he's not reflecting Jesus. In fact, he's not in reflecting himself reflecting Jesus. He wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He stood on this for Jesus. But is that what we see here? So the first thing I really want to take away from this chapter, and you put the next one up, is that Paul, thank the Lord, wasn't perfect. We are definitely not perfect. But can we own that? Can we own that for ourselves? And can we own the reality of that for this group and in this town? 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I was going to say, can we pretend not to be without sin? But the reality is, well, we maybe pretend, but none of us would say we were without sin. We all know the worst of us. But then we get in a context like this and we kind of expect everyone else to be the best of us. We expect everyone else to be ourselves on a good day. And we're very rarely ourselves on a good day. Can we remember that everyone around us is not perfect? Everyone around us says and does things they don't want to say or do. And you and I are going to be at the sharp and the harsh end of that at moments. Now, incredibly, there's still obviously a huge example here. Paul is not without sin, but he actually does the absolute next best thing to not sinning. He He quickly owns his mistake. He says, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people done if this was me or this is my daughter's you get but but lily did it but eva did it but you were beating me up yesterday but i didn't recognize them i have bad eyes everybody knows that but what am i supposed but 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 nothing do not speak evil about the ruler of your people hands up i love that paul owned that And I I don't want to present us as sinful and evil people, but we're broken people. Humanly speaking, if you're a Christian in Christ and in heaven, you're holy and you're perfect, and that's a whole other huge topic for another day. But right now we're living in this, and we're living with our errors and our wrong sayings and our wrong doings in time. And we're going to hurt And we're going to offend along the way, even as we march along in this what is a beautiful community. But when we do it, 
please, God, I pray, can we own it in front of the person we did it to and in front of God? Because this is actually the heart. This is actually the beauty of the message. 1 John 1, 8, it's going to come up there, says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Those are strong and powerful words that only Jesus can do, but confessing brings amazing purity and life within this as well. From the moment we give our lives to Christ, if you have this morning, we are perfect in the sight of God. We are holy in the sight of God. We are justified, and that's mind-boggling. But we all definitely go on this twisty, turny, up and down, rocky road toward death, toward eternity, toward resurrection. And the only way this community is going to thrive is if we own the reality of that. And one thing I really, that really challenged me this week is not, it's not even just about our community thriving or any community, family or whatever, thriving. I think almost more powerfully than anything else, this is what will communicate the good news of Jesus to our world. A community that's real, and I pray we're real, and I know we're real, but a community that owns its mistakes and goes, that was me right away, no but, that was me, I'm sorry, and you're jumping in and going, I totally see, I did that last week, and let's, let's talk about this, and you're forgiven. That forgiveness, that accountability, that owning mistakes is totally countercultural. And that's what will speak volumes. That's what will speak loudly and boldly into our community. Paul wasn't perfect. That's why I love these stories again and again. None of these guys were perfect. I'm not either. You're not either. You're not either. Let's own that reality for ourselves and for each other, I pray. That's takeaway number one, and there's only one more. But the story continues. So Paul just said, Brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it's written, Do not speak evil about the rule of your people. And then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and some others were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from the Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Great. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and suddenly the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and there are no, nothing, there are no angels or, evil, or spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. And one point I was thinking about is, Paul's wise. He knows his crowd. He knows what he can split his crowd with, and he knows how he can connect with his crowd. We actually don't have that dissimilar of a crowd, though. The Pharisees were the spiritual guys. They, they did not want to hear about Jesus at all, but, oh yeah, spiritual, angels, demons, resurrection. I'm totally down with that, brother. Jesus, not so much, but all, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I know what you're saying. We have a few of those people in our world. 
The Sadducees, though, are the much more common people in our world. The Sadducees were these people who tried to grasp together, believing in God and some of the Bible, but didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in angels, didn't believe in demons, didn't believe in the resurrection. Are you kidding me, Paul? Are you kidding me, Pharisees? You guys still believe in this stuff? And it's like, hello, it's the first century. You know, we're not in Babylon anymore. Um, but that's the reality. I suppose what struck me is that's the reality of the world we live in. And that's the reality that can really shake what we believe sometimes. Fiona and I were in Switzerland this year. And uh, I was talking to a church, and Fiona was meeting with a friend from Abu Dhabi. And there was two really funny things that happened out of this. They, first of all, Fiona was telling the girl about what I was doing. Obviously, she was asking about me. And she said, oh, he's meeting with the elders of this church. And she goes, the elders? Is this Game of Thrones or something? <laughs> you know, what sort of freak show cult are you guys part of? Sorry, I don't mean to offend you. <laughs> Uh, but the other thing, uh, Fiona was telling her about some of the people we just met, and one of the guys, one of the guys was like a Paul Fleming. He was the dean of the School of Chemistry of EPFL, which is one of the top universities in the world. And the girl said to Fiona, "Really? So intelligent people still believe this stuff?" <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> That's the world we live in. Seriously. You still believe this stuff. And in our doubting moments, you can say, Paul, seriously? You still believe this stuff? But Paul said in his trial, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. It's ridiculous to you. You don't want to hear about it, but that's why I stand here. And their faith, Paul and all these other men and women, and their hope and their commitment came to life on the back of the reality of this crazy message. And this was actually a big part of my coming back to faith when I was in university. I went to a massive uh, liberal arts university in Canada, I studied sports science. And I, I've told you probably part of the story before, but I absolutely went through a period where I was like, how do, how do I possibly believe any of this stuff? Do I want to? I mean, it cramps my style, and it's a bit crazy when I'm studying this. And all my friends are telling me all these different things. But at the same time, I was also remembering these stories I was told and reading these stories about the apostles and the martyrs. You actually don't get much of it in the Bible. You get more of it in historical documents. But what turned me back or, or what swayed the argument for me was not making sense of the resurrection. But it was not being able to make sense of these people who had spread this message and lost everything for it. And yet the message spread and persecution came and the message spread and more died and the message spread and people lost their homes and the message spread I was raised in the televangelist era. And there's still some of them today. <laughs> they, you know, they take a, a thin veil of truth. Some of them. Some of them are amazing, actually. Some people on TV. That's just in case anyone's listening. 
but some of them are taking a thin veil of the truth and adding on, you know, if you send me this much money, you'll be healed tomorrow. If you send me this much money, my 17 monkeys will pray for you next week. My... And they spread absolute lies. And they probably, I'm sure they don't believe a lot of it, but I totally understand why they're doing it. They're getting rich. They're getting cars. They're getting money. They're getting girls. They're, to they're living off this. We understand the con. We understand the lie when stuff is gained. But these guys keep telling the story. The list of the apostles is, is crazy. Andrew fled persecution like most of them did. Only a few stayed in Jerusalem and was a missionary in Georgia and Bulgaria, took the message and was crucified in Greece. Bartholomew took the gospel again, fled all the way to India, was crucified possibly upside down. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Jerusalem. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Judea. John, the brother of James, was one of the three or four that got lucky. He died of old age on the Isle of Patmos because he was banished from everything he knew. Matthew, the tax collector, the guy who gave up a lot of money to do this, actually was allowed to live to an old age, but he spread the gospel all through Iran. Peter was crucified, possibly upside down in Rome. Philip was crucified in Turkey. Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of J James, were two guys that were allowed to live old age. Judas, though, if, was able to travel or was forced to travel all through Iraq and Syria and Turkey and Iran and with nothing spreading this message. Thomas, this is the one that gets us all the time. The guy who, I know, I, I'm not going to believe it until I touch his hands, until I touch his feet was stabbed through the back as he was praying in India, took the gospel all the way to India. Even I, two summers ago, actually stood on St. Thomas Mount. And it was like anyone who's been to historical sites to, to fathom that history. Matthias, the one who came in after Judas, was allowed to live to old age. And Paul, who we're reading about today, is in prison now, but is going to be beheaded in Rome. This is nothing like televangelist stuff that we get. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. I think it's going to be up there. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a bit of a euphemism, obviously. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. The resurrection for them changed everything. It took Thomas from no way, I gotta feel it, to praying and giving his whole life and getting a spear shoved through his back. It took these, these men and women who were doubting, who were fearful, who were obviously confused, to unstoppable, unmovable, unshakable force spreading all around the world. 300 years, but the persecution still goes on to today. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. Can you own it for the people around you as much as you own it for you? Romans 6.23 goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death, because God is not just a cloud-holding, rain-chucking, smiley guy in the sky. He's just, and he's holy, and he's pure. He's God by definition. But the gift of God, despite our sin, is eternal life, is resurrection life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Paul stood in front of the Sanhedrin facing these people who hated him and his natural inclination would be to hate them back, owned what he did and said, I stand on trial. I stand here today because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And it leaves a heavy question on us and a beautiful question on us. Do you have the same hope? Is the resurrection of the dead that transform these guys' lives alive in you and I? Let me pray and then we're going to have a chance to think about this over communion. Suzanne.